Riviera Beach was so slow and laid back. It wasn't trashy. It was funky. It may have been the poorest city in Palm Beach County, Florida. But to Martha Babson, Riviera Beach was home. And all the other tenants, they were just people like us. We were struggling to make the place nicer from the ground up. But when they tried to actually make the place nicer, the city council wasn't happy. They wouldn't even give out, you know, permits for people to fix things up or add a driveway. That was the beginning of it becoming a blighted neighborhood. They were letting the place go. Martha had a feeling the city was planning something, but she didn't know what until one day. They unveiled the plan in December of 2000, and we were in shock. Our homes were all being taken. It's the whole downtown from one border to the other that they're going to take through eminent domain. The city struck a deal with a private developer to turn the waterfront into luxury condos and a marina for wealthy people's yachts. But there was a problem. On the land they planned to redevelop, there were houses. Over 2,000 houses and 5,500 people lived inside them, including one man who lived at the Riviera Beach Municipal Marina in a floating house. Which will bring us to the issue of Fane, because he came in when it was ripe. I'm Matthew Billy, and you're listening to Bleeped, a new podcast about censorship and the people who stand up to it. Because sometimes free speech comes with a price. I remember when I was growing up seeing floating homes in Miami Beach and in North Bay Village and in different areas, and I said, this would be perfect for me. I guess from a young age, I said, you know, this is a cool way to live. That's Fane Lozman. He's a successful stock options trader. In the early 2000s, when trading moved online and he could work from anywhere, Fane decided to move back home to Florida and live out his childhood dream of owning a floating house. I loved looking out the window and seeing manatees and seeing fish. It was just a wonderful way to, to really be in touch with nature directly, because it's right there at your front step. In 2005, Hurricane Wilma destroyed a lot of Florida's coastline, including the marina in Miami that Fane used for his floating house. Somehow, his house survived, but he had to look for a new marina. That's when he discovered Riviera Beach. The first thing that stood out was how crystal clear the water was. When the tides come in, they would bring in fresh water, and you could, it was just crystal clear down to, you know, the bottom 20 feet. I only visited that one time. I actually even had lunch with the marina director at the Tiki Bar. He said it was a wonderful place to live, and he was happy to have me up there. So I was really looking forward to living there, you know, forever. After Fane signed the lease for Slip 452, he rented a towboat to pull his floating house all the way up from Miami to its new home. It took 18 hours. You can't stop. There's nowhere to pull over and uh, tie off. I was a little bit fatigued, but I was quite happy to finally get there. And what did you do when you got there? We tied off and I was starving. (laughs) I went right to the tiki bar and ordered a meal. But before his order arrived, a guy sitting next to him struck up a conversation. And one of the customers there said, hey, why did you come up here? They're going to privatize this marina and make it into a mega yacht, upscale marina. And I was like, wow, I just got here. I was in shock because I had signed a lease agreement and no one bothered to tell me like, hey, you know, you're going to have to leave in a few months when we privatize the marina and start kicking everybody out. 
Did you confront the director? Yeah, I actually went to his office and I said, what's going on? He just, you know, shrugged his shoulders. And then I started learning about the redevelopment program and about eminent domain. I went to purchase uh, some seashells from my girlfriend at the time. I went in there and this woman was just crying. She was so upset. And it had to do with uh, the threat that they were going to take her property away. She explained how she had come to the country and had married a gentleman and they had run the business together and then he passed away and this was their only means to support her two young children. And uh, in the back of my mind, I said, I'm going to fight this out. We're going to figure a way to stop this from happening. Fain learned as much as he could about Riviera Beach. He spent hours pouring through government records and chatting with other residents. One person told him about a community activist group that was already fighting the redevelopment plan, and Fain decided to introduce himself. Immediately after I showed up, I started going to those meetings and meeting some of the other activists that had been uh, fighting the eminent domain battle uh, for the previous year. Fain showed up in a suit, and that was the first time we met him. They filled me in with portions of the story, but we really didn't have a plan of attack. Fain had a, a Rolodex of legal tools and the money to be able to call the right one at the right time. He was a one-man tornado. So how did you come up with a strategy? It kind of landed in our lap. While all this was going on, the Florida legislature was working on a new law making it illegal to do exactly what Riviera Beach was trying to do, seize land through eminent domain and hand it over to a private developer. The bill had already passed both houses, and all it needed was Governor Jeb Bush's signature. What happened was the word came out that he was going to sign the bill May 11th. So May 10th, the city had an emergency meeting to sign the development agreement for this massive redevelopment. So they had to rush this meeting through to sign the development agreement before the law changed. But Florida had another law, the Open Meetings Law, that prevents city councils from doing things in secret. The Open Meetings Law forces all cities to hold their council meetings in public and let people know they're happening in advance. They did not give what's called reasonable notice. They would have had to give a few days' notice for the most important meeting in the city's history. They gave less than a day. And that was the key going forward. Because after they signed the agreement, I said, you know something, I can make them do it over again. So Fain pulled out his Rolodex and called a lawyer. We filed a lawsuit saying that they had violated the open meetings laws, they didn't give reasonable notice, and we wanted a do-over. With the idea that the do-over would now have to take place after the law had changed, and therefore it would kill the redevelopment process. They couldn't use eminent domain because the the, the eminent domain uh, opportunity was gone forever. For lack of a better word, all hell broke out after that lawsuit was filed. Oh, the city was livid. I was being followed around by Marina Security. I would walk my dog, and they would call the police. The police would come over and say the marina director called the police that I was walking my dog. And I would say, hey, I'm walking my dog on a leash. I'm not creating any problem. They said, yeah, you're creating a problem fighting the redevelopment plan. Then when Fain refused to drop the lawsuit, the city tried to kick him out. On August 9th, Lozman received an eviction letter from the city saying he had to leave by the end of the month. And the eviction notice was that I had a dangerous dog. The dangerous dog in question, Lady, a 10-pound dachshund, or more commonly known as a wiener dog. The city claims this resident violated marina rules and regulations by walking his dog on property without a muzzle. 
I said I'm going to fight out this eviction action. And then we had a three-day jury trial in March 2007. I represented myself, and I, and I won. But after the trial, the harassment didn't stop. I'd received a number of phone calls, and was just like the movies. There was a lot of profanity that I don't know who I'm screwing with. I better stop what I'm doing. Kind of like, if you don't stop fighting the redevelopment program, you're going to get your head blown off. You know, we're, we're going to kill you. And this one time, things went beyond just a threat. I don't recall where I was going, but I was leaving the marina, and as I was driving, I realized the steering, you know, wasn't functioning. I was going out of the marina. It just, you know, was very difficult, and then you just couldn't move it. Well, I parked the vehicle, and I walked back to the uh, marina, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. And there were some guys who were just, you know, hung out at the adjacent park. Uh, I was talking to one of the guys, and he was like, hey, you know, these guys are trying to kill you. I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, they, they went under your vehicle. So Fane called the police. Determination was made that somebody cut the power steering to my truck. It wasn't like the hose was rotted or it was uh, torn that was uh, intentionally cut halfway with the idea that the fluid would leak out when I was driving and then it would lock up the uh, steering. I guess that's what the they, they thought would happen when I'd crash and, you know... Did this scare you? Well, I think it intimidated my friends. I would tell them the story, and they said I was crazy. They said, just get out of there. You know, kind of like, just go buy a real house. But Fane didn't want to go buy a real house. He liked his floating house, and he had people cheering him on. I mean, I would go to Publix, and people I wouldn't know would come up and give me a kiss, say, thank you for trying to save my home. So we were all in this battle together. Fane doesn't know for sure who cut his power steering cable or who made the threatening phone calls. But he does know for a fact that the city council asked the police to give him a hard time. The city talked about doing just that during a closed-door council meeting with a transcriptionist in the room. Officially, the meeting was to discuss Fane's lawsuit, but instead everyone talked about hiring a private investigator to tail Fane and asking the police to intimidate him. The transcript was made public after the lawsuit was over. So why do you think that the city council was so desperate to make the redevelopment plan happen? At this time, Palm Beach County was known as Corruption County. The elected officials that had their hands out to become multimillionaires if the redevelopment plan went through. Of course, the mayor and the other council members denied this and claimed that the redevelopment plan would be good for the city. Here's what Mayor Michael Brown told Sean Hannity during an interview. Some of the people may have to be relocated from their homes to another part of the city in order for the city to complete a relocation plan that is necessary to rescue and save the remainder of the people of River Beach. Not. A redevelopment plan that is designed to, number one, improve our tax base so that we can take care of everybody. Uh, do you have the potential to make any money off this deal? That is not even worth answering. Despite the threatening phone calls, attempted eviction, and attempted assassination, Fane refused to withdraw his lawsuit. And soon, other members of the community filed their own. So we filed a lawsuit first, and then they came in with subsequent lawsuits based on uh, alternative legal theories. I think Martha was on one of them. So ultimately, there was three different lawsuits going on at the same time. Now the city had to make a tough decision. Did it want to devote the time and the money into fighting three lawsuits? or just let it go. 
And finally, the city said, we have to throw in the towel. We can't keep fighting this out. So November 15, 2006, they had a city council meeting where they agreed to abandon the eminent domain portion of the redevelopment. I remember uh, all the media was showing up, all the TV uh, stations were showing up, and I had put on a suit that night. I normally don't get dressed up. That night, the council announced that the redevelopment plan was dead. Then afterwards, when they opened the floor to public comment, Fane stood up to speak. Fane lows him in the Riviera Beach Marina. And I went up there to talk about the arrest of uh, Palm Beach County Commissioner who was involved in a project a few blocks from the uh, city of Riviera Beach Marina. I was only a few seconds into them when the chairperson who... uh, woman by the name of Liz Wade. You have a right to say what you want to say publicly, but you will not stand up and go through that kind of... Yes, uh, I will. No, you As she directed the police uh, officer to come forward and to arrest me and drag me out of the meeting. I have a right to make my public comment. Take him out. I have a right to talk about... Why am I being arrested? I'm a First Amendment... If you go out, you won't be arrested. They dragged me off to jail and they charged me with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. The lead story that night wasn't even they abandoned the redevelopment plan. The lead story that night with the guy who fought to stop it from happening, he was dragged off to jail. I was not happy about it. The city may have lost their eminent domain battle, but they didn't fully scrap the redevelopment plans. The municipal marina where Fane lived was a public marina. The city already owned it, and that meant it was theirs to sell to whomever they wanted. They signed a a new development agreement with the master developer limited to the uh, city marina. The decision was made they had to get me out of that marina again. By now, the city knew that intimidation tactics and baseless eviction notices didn't scare Fane. So on an April morning in 2009, they tried a different approach. I took my dog and we went to do some shopping at a grocery store and run some errands. And then when we came back, there was all these U.S. Marshals with sidearms strapped to their legs and and body armor. And a towboat from Towboat U.S. was there. And it was like, what is going on? The Marshal patted me down. I go, what's going on? He says, get off the dock or you'd be arrested. And I go, well, I'm going on my floating home. I got to get something. He said, I told you to get off the dock or you'd be arrested. Eventually, one of the marshals handed Fane a court order that explained what was going on. Apparently, earlier that day, city officials... They marched into federal court asking the federal judge to issue a writ of arrest to seize my floating home under the pretext that I had not paid my rent. Did you pay your rent? I had paid my rent check uh, at the beginning of the month. I actually delivered it to the marina office, so I dropped it off. But unlike a normal landlord, the marina decided not to cash the check and instead went to a judge claiming that Fane never paid. And this federal judge, guy by the name of Dimitriolis, he signed the writ of arrest. It's done ex parte, meaning I had no notice of this uh, hearing, and they had a valid maritime lien to uh, have my floating home seized. So Fane stood in the parking lot completely helpless, as he watched the marshals disconnect his home from Slip 452 and tow it away. (laughs) 
everything that I owned was on the floating home. All my clothes, my computers, my trading uh, stuff, everything was on there. They would not give me anything. I had zero. I actually had, I only had the clothes on my back. I was dating a, a lady at the time, and I said, you might if I crash with you for a few days. And uh, I remember going to a consignment shop, and I bought a bunch of uh, clothes to wear. And uh, I had a suit jacket and a pair of pants I grabbed, and I filed an emergency motion with the court uh, saying, hey, judge, what you did was wrong. A few days later, the judge held a hearing. And the federal judge was really angry. And he was just a hair away from telling the city to take my floating home from Miami all the way back to the Riviera Beach Marina. But he just wouldn't do it. He just looked at me. I I wasn't represented by an attorney, and the city had a couple top maritime lawyers there. And he just said, well, we're just going to leave things the way they are, and we're just going to go forward from there. A few months after Fain's house was towed away, the official trial was held and he had a chance to defend himself. His argument is complicated, but it boils down to this. Maritime law gives federal courts authority over vessels. Vessels are typically defined as ships or other means of transportation that can move on their own over water. But Fain argued that because this house lacked an engine and couldn't move on its own, it wasn't a vessel. And therefore, the federal judge who signed the writ of arrest did not have the jurisdiction to do so. But the law code leaves some room for interpretation, and the judge disagreed. And he said, well, anything that floats, including uh, three men in a wash tub and Pinocchio in the whale is a vessel, and that uh, therefore he did have jurisdiction, and he ordered my floating home sold on the courthouse steps. The judge also told Fain that before auction day, he could remove a few of his belongings from the house. It was being kept at a dock in Miami, so Fane drove down for one last look. The home was in horrible shape. When they towed it from the Riviera Beach Marina, they towed it much faster than it should have been towed. So it developed some cracks in the hull. There were a few feet of water sitting in the hull area. There was mold and mildew everywhere because they uh, never hooked it up to electricity for the air conditioning system. The home had really rotted away a lot. I mean, it must have really hurt you to see that. Oh, it did. It brought tears to your eyes. I was disgusted, and it was just heartbreaking. The auction took place on the steps of the Miami County Courthouse. Fane decided to attend, and when he got there, a few people were already waiting, including someone from Riviera Beach. The city sent their outside counsel. She was there on behalf of the city, like myself, to witness what was going on. The auctioneer started the bidding at 500. And then, to everyone's surprise, the city's lawyer raised her hand. When she placed the first bid, I was like, what are you doing? You know, why are you bidding on behalf of the city? And she just, you know, ignored me. The whole point of selling the house was to compensate Riviera Beach for the rent they claimed Fane never paid. But clearly, money was not their primary concern, because as the bid climbed higher, the city's lawyer kept raising her hand. When the price hit 4,100, the lawyer gave the signal once more. Going once, going twice, no one else bid, and the house was sold to the city of Riviera Beach. I I think I probably said some nasty things, sir. I I don't really remember what I said, but I'm just, like, incredulous that the city 
would go to that effort because they wanted to make sure that it could never come back. And then to rub salt in the proverbial wounds, Riviera Beach hired a demolition company. They spent $6,900 of taxpayers' money to destroy it. I'd go up to the fence line and take pictures of it being demolished. It was just a terrible thing to see happen. Fain had lived in that house for six years and spent countless days fixing it up. He had added new siding, a new stove, new roof, new everything. But the demolition company undid all of that in less than a week. Each day, Fain stopped by the demolition site and watched his house taken apart, piece by piece. I said, I don't care what it costs me, I'm going to fight it out to the end. So Fain went back to the courts. We took an appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals, and they said that same stupid thing that, you know, anything that floats is a boat, including, you know, three men in a wash tub, your thing floated, it's a boat. Fain's last hope was asking the Supreme Court to hear his case, but that was a long shot. The Supreme Court gets like 8,000 petitions a year, and they grant, uh, that year I think they granted 75. You know, people thought I was nuts to go ahead and, and, and fight that out because the odds are so small. Even the people close to me, they're saying, Fain, that's, you know, a needle in a haystack. You're not going to have the Supreme Court take this admiralty case. What are you doing? And I said, I don't care. I did a Google search one night looking for who's the top Supreme Court litigator, who's the best, and a guy by the name of Jeffrey Fisher came up, and I reached out to him. I'm not sure whether Fain knows this or remembers it if I told him, is he sent me an email out of the blue that I almost missed because it happened to land in my spam filter. I'm Jeff Fisher, a professor at Stanford Law School and co-director of the Stanford Supreme Court Litigation Clinic. What grabbed him about the case was that I had lived in Seattle before coming to Stanford. And so I had lived in a, in a city that is, probably has more floating homes than any other area of the country. And so I was very familiar with floating homes. I'd been on floating homes that friends had and the like. And it immediately struck me that that was wrong, that floating homes were not vessels. So Jeff agreed to help Fain. The first thing they did was petition the Supreme Court to hear the case. They needed to convince the court that the question of whether or not Fain's house was a vessel was bigger than just Fain and Riviera Beach and had broad legal ramifications. There's a conflict on a question of how to classify floating structures that function primarily by sitting still, but that nevertheless have the capacity and sometimes do occasionally move along the water like a boat does. And so how do you classify those for purposes of whether maritime law governs or whether regular law governs, which governs land-based structures. So you had different parts of the country classifying floating structures differently. And it's worth your time because it's an important issue to decide. And February 21st of 2012, the Supreme Court granted our petition. We'll hear argument next in case 11-626, Lozman versus the city of Riviera Beach. Mr. Fisher. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. There is actually a classic law school exercise where students are told to imagine a law that says no vehicles are allowed in the park. And then they're told to define what would be a vehicle. Would a bicycle be allowed in the park? Would a stroller be allowed in the park? In that way, what is the definition of a vessel is about as close as you ever could come. It was the first day of the term. The justices had come back from their recess fresh, and they were actually enjoying engaging with this legal question is that you could have very odd things, you know, like an advertising sign 
The floating the sofa, sofa, the floating sofa. It's just somebody is retired, he likes to see it float around in the water. And is a trampoline that floats on water capable of moving? Just, just like an inner, inner tube, right? Floats, can be towed, can carry a person. Well, a person, actually, most of the body parts of a person would be underwater and would be through the water. <laughs> Mr. Chief Justice. One of those inflatable rafts where most of the parts of the people are. So I think they really did have fun with it. Thank you, counsel. Counsel, the case is submitted. Jeff says that after the oral arguments, he was cautiously optimistic the judges would rule in Fain's favor. But he wasn't confident, and you never actually know how the judges will rule until they issue their opinion. That happened on January 13, 2013. Here's a clip of Justice Breyer. The court should not interpret the statute as if it covered, for example, a wooden washtub, a door taken off its hinges, or Pinocchio inside the whale. We conclude that Lozman's floating home falls outside this definition. It is not a vessel. I need say no more. And by a vote of seven to two, the Supreme Court agreed with me, and they reversed the 11th Circuit. So I, I was very happy about the language the Supreme Court used to slap the Court of Appeals and the district judge. So did you celebrate? Yeah, I hit the town a, a few times. Uh, I partaked of a bottle that's uh, made in Scotland in 21 years on the side. You know, it's exhilarating. But Fane's celebration may have been a little premature. Even though he'd won in the highest court in the land, that didn't mean that his legal struggle with Riviera Beach was over. So that, at that point, sent it back down to the trial court for the trial court to take a fresh look at the case. When I went back to the 11th Circuit, they were livid that I had won. They entered an order six months later, a simple order, just saying, telling the lower court to dismiss the case and close the file. With the idea like, hey, you know, take a hike. You were right. We never should have arrested it, but we're not going to make things right for you. And the lower court did that. The outcome of the case should have been for him to get compensation for the floating home being destroyed. Why that didn't happen, I, I just frankly don't know. But Fane didn't let that get him down. While he was waiting for Riviera Beach to compensate him for the house they destroyed, he had another score to settle. You remember when he was arrested at the city council meeting? Take him out. Why am I being arrested? I'm a first amendment. If you go out, you won't be arrested. Well, he didn't let that go. This right here is the petition that Fane Lozman filed with the Supreme Court of the United States. And now what happened here inside Riviera Beach City Hall is headed to the highest court in the land. At the heart of the case is whether the existence of probable cause defeats a First Amendment retaliatory arrest claim as matter of law. The First Amendment is first because it's the most important. I did not like going to a meeting and being arrested because they didn't like the content of what I was discussing. During oral arguments, most of the justices focused on the video of Fane being removed from the meeting, especially Chief Justice John Roberts. I found the video pretty chilling. The, the fellow was up there for about 15 seconds, and the next thing he knows, he's being let off in, in, in handcuffs, speaking in a very calm voice the whole time. Now, the council may not have liked what he was talking about, but that doesn't mean they get to cuff him and, and lead him out. We won that uh, in June on that 8-1 decision. Here we have a case that really upholds the First Amendment as far as government retaliation. It protects negative speech. To celebrate his second victory, Fane made another appearance at a city council meeting. And this one ended a little different. 
They were just scared to death. They had uh, the local uh, television station there recording the meeting, and they just uh, kept their mouth shut and let me say what I had to say. I said, you know, Riviera Beach has been embarrassing themselves for the last 12 years. But if Riviera Beach felt embarrassed, they sure didn't show it, at least not enough to compensate Fane for the house they destroyed. To this day, they claim that settling with Fane would be unfair to the taxpayer and the money would be better put to use somewhere else. But now, after his second Supreme Court victory, Fane hopes that any settlement with Riviera Beach will include the value of his former floating home. But that's just a hope. This just keeps going on year after year after year, and uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals, they're going to evaluate the case all over again, and most likely they will remand it for a new trial. Now that I've won at the Supreme Court again, the city should come forward and, and in good faith try to settle this case. They don't have to have another trial two years from now. But if they do have a new trial in two years, Fane's feelings about it are exactly the same as they've been for the last 10. He'll fight it out to the end, no matter what it takes. And what is he fighting for exactly? Well, Fane calculates that between legal fees and his demolished house, Riviera Beach owes him $365,000. But at this point, this fight isn't about Riviera Beach's money. It's about what their money would say, even if the people in charge refused to say it out loud. We're sorry. That's where people come up to me and go, Fane, you saved 2,200 homes via being taken via eminent domain, and the only home that was taken destroyed was your own. What do you think about that? And I go, it's horrible. It's not right. But I just had to learn to live with it. This episode of Bleeped was produced by me, Matthew Billy. Rebecca Seidel was the editor. The theme song was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Huge thanks to Fane Lozman, Martha Babson, and Jeffrey Fisher for being our guests. And a very special thanks to Renee Corey for sharing some Riviera Beach history with me. Be sure to subscribe to Bleeped on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, or visit our website, bleep.org. Thanks for listening.